Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries, hosting alongside Jake Deemer. And this week, we are joined by Jerowyn Wolf. Welcome to the episode, Jerry. Great to be here, guys. Very excited. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And uh, as always, we're going to start the episode with our prior week recap end the episode with matchup preview and news and notes. Uh, but this week, we are going to be talking about uh, some risers and fallers, both teams in our league as well as individual players. So excited to dive into that with you guys today. Welcome back for episode six. This is our week five edition, of course, of the Fantasy Baseball Podcast here in the Best Player Wins broadcast. Um, let's just jump right in. Prior week recap. Jerry, I'll let you lead us off. Who did you have as the biggest upset walking away from week four? All right. So right now I've got uh, Pine Run Market over JC. Uh, Nick with uh, a big upset. Neither of you guys predicted him on last week's podcast. And uh, Nick went off this week. uh, Second in scoring this week, I believe, as well. So... um, Big shock and uh, a big performance by Nick. Jake, or yeah, Jake, who did you have? Uh, I had that one as well. And uh, Nick really made me eat my words because I believe I had this one as the worst matchup of last week. But uh, Nick had that big performance despite two of his best players being hurt. And basically, and he has all those injured starters as well. We can't forget about that. But uh, he was able to pull off this convincing victory over one of our league's top teams. And uh, his, his offense was led by none other than Isaiah Kiner-Falefa with almost 30 points. But really, the pitching is where he separated himself and stood out. He got strong performances from guys like Trevor Rogers, McCullers, uh, Christian Javier, and Carlos Rodon, who all topped 25 points. And I also wanted to throw out Nick Pavetta, who outdueled Jacob deGrom to get 22.5 points. Uh, all in all, it was a very strong performance from Nick's staff. I was pretty impressed by that. Um, for the most part, though, JC had a fine week, but he was really dragged down by a couple players, Kevin Biggio, Luis Robert, uh, Brandon Nimmo, Hyunjin Ryu, and Kenley Jansen all combined to score negative 1.1 points. And uh, it's it's going to be really tough to win no matter who you play when, when over a fourth of your lineup uh, is in the negative. So definitely the biggest upset. Uh, Nick continues to continues to trend up in, in my eyes. Yeah, kicking Ryu while he's down. He, he got placed on IL early in the week. Uh, too late for JC to actually put him on our IR and swap him out of the lineup. But no surprise, I had the same matchup, Pine Run Market versus JC, as the biggest upset. So entering the week as a matchup between one of the strongest teams in the league and a team whose strategy was clear, which was being the first seller to stir the market in an effort to stock up keepers for 2022, I don't really think any of us expected JC to drop this matchup and take a loss, but despite being down his two superstars in Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich, Nick was able to pull out the win in this one behind, like Jake mentioned, a strong pitching performance virtually across the board with the exception of Chris Flexen, but who was Chris Flexen? You weren't expecting much from him. Entering Sunday, or I guess I should say today because we're recording today on Sunday, Nick had... 37 innings pitched from his rotation in which his pitchers aside from Chris Flexen allowed a total of four earned runs 
struck out 52 batters in those 37 innings and walked 13. This means that Nick's group of pitchers put up a 12.65 K per nine over the course of the matchup. And they struck out, they struck out batters at a ratio of four to one compared to the amount of hitters that they issued free passes to. And unfortunately for me, uh, I just kind of have to continue to watch as Trevor Rogers makes me deeply pay for dropping him one start too early as he has definitely been Nick's best pitcher by far and looks to be a surefire, untouchable keeper for Nick. And I think at this point, you know, just reflecting on my own performance and my own decisions early each season, this has kind of become an annual tradition for me where I draft a great keeper for someone else. So Nick happens to be the beneficiary this year with Trevor Rogers. Most shocking outcome. I will go ahead and lead off. Um, wouldn't be surprised if you guys have the same, but I picked TP Prez versus Big Money Mike, uh, Mike and Sam's matchup. So after putting up nearly 400 points last week, Mike's team came out pretty flat this week, mostly due to the pitching staff failing to deliver on expectations. Um, you know, in a, sta- in a staff composed of Walker Bueller, Brandon Woodruff, Julio Urias, and Kenta Maeda, would you believe it if I told you that Danny Duffy was the lone bright spot this week. But if Mike's underwhelming performance this week wasn't enough, Sam went on to drop his second dud in a row uh, behind an even worse pitching performance. Entering today, Sam's entire pitching staff, relievers included, put up a combined 24.5 points. And that staff includes Zach Eflin, who I pointed out as a guy that I like this year, Zach Grinke, Kyle Hendricks, and Herman Marquez on the road. Um, and not to mention Aaron Nola, but he also has Liam Hendricks, who's a presumed top three closer, and a 2021 reliever breakout in Tyler Rogers, who is pitching out of the bullpen for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, but to, to put this disappointing week into perspective, the combined total output of Sam's nine pitchers was less than Danny Duffy's point total in the entire matchup uh, coming into Sunday, I should say that. But pretty crazy to me that a guy like Danny Duffy was the lone, the lone bright spot for Mike's pitching staff that has a lot of star power, but also that he outscored Sam's entire pitching staff coming into the last day of the matchup. I'll say this. While I'm not concerned about t- Sam's team just yet for the long term, sometimes the performance commands our attention, even if the roster looks good on paper. And this is a situation uh, that I think will be monitored pretty closely by Sam and that I think is going to be really interesting to watch moving forward. Jake, who did you have for most shocking outcome this week? Well, I mean, historically, we got to go with Jordan snapping the streak, right? I mean, the streak's over this week. Yeah, that what what was it? It ended up being 323 days that he went without a head-to-head win. Is that what we ended the final uh, it, tally You got to double that. 600-something days. Wow. I, I completely forgot from last week, but yeah, 623 days, I think, is what we said it would be if he ended up winning this matchup, but historic, yeah, so yeah, I, this, this would be a matchup for the history books. Go ahead, Jake. I just, I just wanted to shout him out, but my, I, let, I had the same thing you did with Sam's team struggling again. Um, I know that we've talked about how, how we think that he has an excellent team, um, but it is getting kind of hard to ignore that this was the second straight week where the team performed very poorly. Um, I think he's starting to fall behind the other top teams in the division a little bit. Uh, this was a winning, a winning, uh, winnable perform, a winnable game for him against Mike. 
Um, Mike didn't really score well either, but the poor performances from the pitching really sunk him. Like you said, uh, Kyle Hendricks kind of led the way with negative 16. That's his, that's his second really poor start out of, out of his last three. Uh, but his five starters entering today combined for one and a half points. I don't think this was a bad trade, but the absence of Aaron Savali is starting to get a little more noticeable with the starting, with the starting pitching struggling like it is. Uh, but next week is it's not going to get any easier with playing Nate. And uh, I think he really needs to go one and one there. If he has any hope of winning the division. Yeah. Jerwin, who did you have for most shocking outcome? I actually had a different one. I picked um, Courtney's monster week that she had. Um, we, we knew that her team was really good going into this, but she's sitting at 411 points right now. And that's with a blown save today by TJ Antone. Antone? Is that how you pronounce it? I think it's just TJ Antone. Antone. Okay. Could be um, wrong. But yeah. And um, I think last week, Nate, you pointed out that she has a couple two starters um, but you weren't too worried because it was Anthony Desclafani and Frankie Montes, but she's got 411 points now sitting on top of Anthony Desclafani's uh, Monday night uh, complete game shutout. So that in and of itself, I think, was a pretty shocking outcome. Um, so, yeah, I think Courtney deserves a shout out here for the amount of points that she threw up. Um Jordan said it best in, in the group chat. Uh, Mike poked the bear last week and uh, Courtney's back. Yeah. And I can, can we all agree that a complete game shutout from Anthony Desclafani of all pitchers, like she was going to, she's going to win the matchup regardless of she, of whether she got that 47 points or whatever it was from that game or not. But can we all agree that that was totally lucky Please, I'm there with humor you. Me. I can I can give you that. Humor me, Jake. I need to hear it from. Yeah, yeah. It was lucky, but you know, it's the Rockies on the road. It's a good matchup. That could happen. But moving on, because she she definitely earned the win regardless of whether Desclafani was in the lineup or not. She she crushed it. Um, unfortunate for me. I think I looked earlier today, and I would have been I'm like the third highest scoring in the league, but. Such as life goes in a head-to-head points league, and that's kind of why we implemented the second matchup against the league median, so I can't complain too much there. But, yeah, I would agree. That was uh, – I don't want to say surprising because we all knew that Courtney's team was really talented and capable of putting up a really big week, but I thought that Mike's team putting up near 400 points was going to be kind of the upper limit. Maybe we wouldn't see another uh, performance in a regular matchup of seven days again this season. But putting up 400 um, after we expanded the 12 teams only in a seven-day matchup was certainly impressive by Courtney. And, and I would agree, definitely worth mentioning for most shocking outcome. That brings us to our top three standings update for each division. So no change in the East division. Top three is – or actually, there, sorry, there is a change at the top two. Jake ended up jumping JC for first place. So Jake's fantasy baseball team with a record of 8-0. JC actually dropped uh, both matchups he had this week against Nick and the league median. So he dropped to six and two, but he is still sitting in second place in the East division. And then Nick is uh, making a surprising climb. Uh, He was in the third place spot last week, but I think he's definitely solidifying himself as a competitive team this year. 
Pine Run Market with a record of five and three sitting in the third place spot. And then on the other side in the West Division, uh, no surprise, Courtney is in first place, Team C Deemer with a record of six and two after absolutely breezing to a two and oh finish this week. Brendan jumped, or I think, Jake, can you remind me? Was it me in second place, Brendan in third place last week? I think we were both four and two, but I think I had him in points. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So Brendan jumped me this week to take second place in the West Division. He is also six and two. That is Team Cleveland White Males. And then I, as I just mentioned, was I think a top three scorer in the league. So I got my win against the league median, but of course took the head-to-head loss against Courtney. So I fell to five and three, and I am in third place in the West Division, number one contender. So that is your top three for each division. Maybe in the future, as you know, the second half of the season will pick up, I will start to give the updates as to who the next best two teams in the league are because that is actually how our expanded playoff bracket is going to work. It'll be top three in each division, and then the next best two teams in the league, like Jake and I have alluded to, um, making really early predictions that there could be five playoff teams coming out of the West division. So maybe that'll be something that we add down the line, but uh, yeah, be on the lookout for that. Let's talk about recent trades. There was only one this week and it was a, it was a head scratcher, surprising move, whatever you want to call it. To me, I, I was just surprised to see this, but Nick gave up, uh, Taiwan Walker, Teoscar Hernandez, and Wade Miley. Eddie gave up Mackenzie Gore. Jerwin, I know you are the biggest proponent out there for Mackenzie Gore. What did you think of this trade? Yeah, I was I was sad to see him go in the draft before I could get a chance to grab him. Uh, I am equally sad to see him go to a different team in a trade that isn't my team. Um, and I, I think... Jake and Jordan and I were talking this week. Um, we think this is a is a steal of a trade uh, for for a talent like Gore and for the keeper value that I, I think he's probably going to have. Um, yeah, I've got him in my dynasty league. I think he's going to be a stud and um, certainly some good value for Nick, who's already on the up and up. Jake, give us your thoughts. Gotta be honest. This was the more that I looked at it, the more that I thought that this was just a really weird trade for me to try to grade. Like on one hand, I don't really like any of the players that Eddie got back. I don't think that Walker or Miley um, are much more than hot hand plays. I don't. I, I think I've said it before on the podcast. I'm not. I'm definitely probably the low guy on Teoscar Hernandez uh, for this format, especially. While Gore is highly touted, I would still say there's a lot of unknown with him. The Padres don't seem very inclined to get him up to the majors. That's despite all the pitching injuries that they've had. Um, I think that he'll be good when he comes up, but I don't even know the performance is guaranteed because uh, he was struggling with his command in the spring, which reportedly was a problem for him last year as well. And he was taken a little bit earlier in the draft than, than I would have uh, I would have thought that he'd be a worthwhile keeper. So even if he comes up, I think that he would have to perform well over a decently sustained period of time for him to be worth that price. Um, while I do think that Nick won the trade because the for what he gave up, uh, the risk with Gore, it's probably worth it. Um, I do think that he could Gore could very easily come up and give under two months of average performance, and that's not really going to do Nick any good either competing this year or keeping him next year. So all in all, I do think this was a pretty weird trade to 
for me to try to grade the more that I looked at it. Yeah. And, and I feel the same way that you do Jake, that I don't love or even really like any of the players in this trade. However, I come on the completely opposite side of Jerwin. I thought that this was a clear win for Eddie because I think in our format, the keeper format, where you have the round bumps as we've laid them out in the league constitution. I kind of come, I have the opinion that Mackenzie Gore is pretty much worthless at his current draft price or his current keeper price heading into next year. When you have a guy that you have no idea when he's going to debut and with pitching, especially it's always shaky, no matter how high the pedigree is or how talented the player is, you just don't know how they're going to perform you don't know if they'll come up and do well early and then they'll get hurt. I mean, pitching, I know we haven't seen it this year, but typically pitching is more injury prone, or I should say pitchers are more injury prone than hitters. You just saw Dustin May go down and it looks like he's going to have a pretty long-term injury. He was just starting to break out. This is a long, long-winded way of saying, I just don't really see Mackenzie Gore providing any value to any team in our league unless it's maybe – in 2023 so I don't even think next year um, and certainly not at the draft price that Nick would have to pay that he's going to provide much of a benefit compared to some of the other players that would be available in that range for him to draft I'll say on Eddie's return I agree with you Jake Taiwan Walker Teoscar Hernandez and Wade Miley none of them are really standout players but when it comes down to it if I'm looking at Mackenzie Gore and thinking to myself I would not keep him if he were on my team, given the current keeper cost, then anything of positive value is better than nothing of positive value. And that's kind of the way that I'm valuing Gore personally. So even a waiver wire hot hand, such as Taiwan Walker, Wade Miley, and maybe Teoscar Hernandez can get hot for a month. If they provide you any positive return, I count that as a win for Eddie personally. That may be a little bit harsh, but just with the landscape of keepers, given that we can only keep five, or I should say protect five, um, I would be very hard-pressed to consider Gore in my own top five as somebody that's going for a title this year, let alone a seller like Nick who's going to be casting a wide net for keepers, have a lot of options to choose from. I would be surprised to see Mackenzie Gore included in his top five um, come next year. So you don't you don't give any uh, I guess any any real thought to uh, Gore's upside is I, I do think that he does have ace upside even if it only is for maybe like a per inning basis where he doesn't go very deep into games. I he has the upside to be a top twenty pitcher probably more so than any pitcher in the minors right now but I don't think that he's going to deliver on that until 2023 at the earliest, just based on, like you said, the project's unwillingness to bring him up. Um, and when you are drafting him like he is a, I'll call it a top 35 starting pitcher, because I want to say he is capable entering next year as a ninth rounder. And I would say that that feels like where, you know, the back end of top 35 pitchers would go. I don't expect him to be a top 35 pitcher on the season in 2022. I could definitely see it happening and maybe even a jump to the top 25 or top 20 in 2023. But at that point, he would be a seventh rounder. 
and you were you're also kind of keeping him based on the faith you have in his pedigree at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I guess for me, it's just Gore's Gore does have a lot of upside. And I, I think that we we have seen rookie pitchers come up and be be good. And Gore has from what from what I've seen and what I've seen the just the scouting reports, just the prospect reports, uh, he's up there with the best of them in terms of he's been the top pitching prospect in the game for I believe two years now. But I, I've heard I've heard the Walker Bueller comps and Bueller was good as soon as he got here. I mean, he's going to have a good offense back in him. Uh, he's got good stuff. I mean, he I, I know that there are some control problems or control issues that he's trying to work out. But I, I think that the upside is worth it. I don't think that Nick will keep him just so I can throw that out there because I he does have a lot of good uh, pitcher keepers. I don't. Gore would have to do a lot to, to get in there, but I mean, I'm talking more in a vacuum, I guess, when I'm talking about this. Yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning too, that like, even though I went relatively prospect heavy last year in the draft, I was mostly drafting prospects as trade ammo to eventual sellers. I'm not big on keeping prospects unless they are truly exceptions, which I think Mackenzie Gore is, but there is a price that I am, willing to walk up to the line and say that's a little bit too rich for me. And I think Mackenzie Gore being drafted or, or having a keeper price inside the top 10 rounds without actually showing any type of production. And it's not his fault, right? The Padres calling him up is completely out of his control, but I would just have a hard time drafting a player. That's not going to be a generational talent. Like we expected Vlad to be, even he came up and struggled. We expect wonder Franco to be, um, even those guys, after I've seen Vladimir Guerrero Jr. struggle for the first two years of his major league career, it's just really, it makes me nervous to spend, I don't want to call a ninth round pick an early pick, but it's still early enough in the draft that there are very good hitters, very, I don't want to say very good pitchers, but pitchers that have upside to be very good. And, and Mackenzie Gore does have that. I just think that his path to being that is less likely given the circumstances around him, i.e. the team controlling his workload or just refusing to call him up, then say breakout pitchers like I liked coming into the year, like Christian Javier, Zach Eflin, Trevor Rogers. I like to target those kinds of guys a little bit more than I like to target prospects in the early teens or even at the late end of the top 10 rounds. It's just me. I know that you had Wonder Franco ranked as your number one keeper that you listed for Eddie and Nick coming into the keeper draft for the two of them. I didn't even have wonder Franco on my keeper list at all. So I think you and I just see top prospects a little bit differently in terms of their keeper value. I am certainly willing to keep them and be excited for them. I just would prefer them in probably the 15th round or beyond just to kind of mitigate the risk factor. Yeah, that's fair. I, I see what you're saying. I guess I'll, this will be my final thoughts and I'll toss it over to uh, the Jarrah Winford. For his, but I guess Gore's upside to me would be would be worth paying this price. I don't I don't think it's likely that Gore is kept this year. I don't think it's likely that he comes up and he's an ace like Walker Bueller was a couple years ago. But I think that the upside when you're not giving up guys that are going to be staples in your lineup, like I don't think that Nick's going to be starting Wade Miley, Taiwan Walker, Tiosker Hernandez consistently. I don't think those were major parts of his team. So I think that selling that, those types of players to get a guy, even as risky as Gore is with the kind of upside that he has, 
I think that that would be well worth it, especially considering uh, the strategy that Nick looks like he's employing where he's just kind of cast, like we've said, he's casting a wide net. He's getting a lot of potential uh, pitcher keepers. So he's got a better chance that a couple of them pan out. Well, that's just my thoughts, Jared, when you got your, your, your final thoughts here on it. Yeah. I mean, all good points about, you know, the price on Mackenzie Gore for keeping him next year. It's my only thing is it is possible that he, he performs well enough given his, his talent level to at least be in the conversation for, for Nick's keeper pool, uh, depending on what he's looking at at the end of the year. Um, but I, I just think in the context of the trade, like I, all, all the points we've made about Mackenzie Gore, I think are, are on point. Um, but in the context of the trade, just what Nick had to give up for the potential upside of Mackenzie Gore, I think was well worth it. And then if Mackenzie Gore doesn't pan out for him this year, isn't a good keeper, I don't think he lost much um, having taken that risk. Yeah, that's totally fair. And I will caveat to to say that even though I am anti-acquiring Mackenzie Gore via trade, I will say that it is very possible that if he is kept, you know, over these next three years, that at the end of three years, 2022, 2023, 2024, to be kept at a ninth, then seventh, then fifth round value, he could way outperform uh, the draft cost if he is kept for all three years. I think what it's going to ultimately come down to for me is, will he actually be kept? Um, but I, I certainly concede your point, Jerwin, that the upside is worth the low cost, the low risk of players that you're not going to miss on your team. So I could definitely see it from the other side as well. Yeah, I think we talked about this one trade more than we did all the, <laughs> yeah. the other trades last week. Well, I wanted to give a holistic view on this one since we normally don't get to do that like on every single trade since usually we'll have anywhere from four to seven trades to talk about usually we give our quick hitting thoughts on it and move on since we only had one this week and there were further implications than just what are these guys going to do for each team this season thought it would be a little bit interesting to dive deeper on it so I'm glad you guys were up for the challenge there let's jump into our first risers and fallers segment of the season and like I mentioned in the intro, we're going to actually talk about one team that we feel is a riser, one player that we feel is a riser, riser, and then we're going to do the same thing with fallers as well. So each of us are going to give you our team picks and our player picks for both categories. And Jake, would you like to lead us off and let us know who your risers are or who your riser is among the teams in our league? Sure. Well, I got, I'm sure that I'm probably not the only one. I have Brendan. I know that we've already talked about him a lot, but I I think that he really fits here. I think prior prior to, uh, well, I guess after the coming out of the draft, I had him around the ninth and 10th range. Um, I didn't really like his team a lot. I didn't like his keeper pool going into the year either. But uh, he was, I, I think now I have him solidly in the playoffs. Um, Brendan did not come in with like a very good keepers, like I said. But he, I think he was still able to have a fine draft. Like he did, he did the most with what he had, uh, and he he got to work post draft. Made a couple of trades. Got Peralta from me. Uh, he's got Savali now. I think he had a couple other ones too. But I think out of everyone, 
he's done the most with what he has and has really positioned himself to, as a contender once again. And uh, I, I know that we shower him with praise a lot, but it's it's really impressive to see. I think out of everyone, he's probably done the, the best job as a as a manager up to this point. Um, so he would get my vote for, for riser. Yeah. And I don't know who your pick is, Jerwin, but my pick was also Brendan. So I will echo what Jake said. I'll say coming out of the draft, I had him ranked as the 11th team out of 12 in our league. My current ranking is sixth for Brendan's team. I have him jumping Eddie, Sam, Jerwin, Jordan, and Nick's team. I know we've, we've talked a lot about how Nick has been a riser. He was my honorable mention. I was kind of between these two guys, but it just came down to me. or What it came down to for me was that Brendan moved up the most amount of spots in my personal rankings of the teams in our league, jumping from 11th to 6th. My why is that through a combination of a strong early season performance leading to a record of 6-2, and two, a point total that mostly backs that record up in key additions of Aaron Savale and Freddie Peralta to address what I thought were clear weaknesses. And if you'll remember back to our second episode, what made me make the bold prediction that Brendan would actually miss playoffs this year because I did not like the pitching staff. Uh, Brendan has actually earned sole possession of second place in the deeply talented West division. And you may wonder why I've only moved him up to sixth place, despite the standings indicating a top four seat at the moment. It's because while the point totals aren't suggesting that he is getting completely lucky, they do suggest that a couple teams behind him in the standings have kind of out-earned him in terms of pure production. But even still, it has been impressive to watch this narrative, at least for me, turn around, um, all without much help from his the very first overall pick of our draft, Juan Soto, who is on Brendan's team but is on the injured list. So definitely a big turnaround for Brendan. Jerwin, who did you have as the riser? Well, I will do you a favor and talk about your honorable mention, Nick, over at Pine Run Market. Um, I, uh, I, coming out of the draft, I saw him as uh, a bubble team at best, you know, fighting for one of those last playoff spots, but worst case as a deadline seller. Um, tough to put someone higher than that out of the draft it, when they're, it's their first year and um, all they got in terms of keepers were the guys we didn't want. Um, but now I, I see him as a definite competitive bubble team, and he's he certainly has a shot at the um, making the top three of the division and, and getting out past the wild cards. Uh, the reasoning I have, um, it, it's hard to say if his – success this week is repeatable and sustainable um, but he have, has a good set of players to work with and a lot of injured players that could come back and start making even more of an impact for him um, and I could even see him uh, flipping the script with his team and turning some of these keepers he's been stockpiling so far this year into power pieces at the deadline if this run continues and he wants to take a shot at this year instead of next season. Sure. I'm glad that you, you touched on Nick because it was a pretty hard decision for me to choose between the two of them. But uh, let's move on to the player edition of our risers. I will go ahead and lead us off. I know we've talked about him a lot, but what he is doing is undeniable and should be talked about so much. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, Jake, I'm sure you'll be happy about this. The ranking I had on him coming out of the draft was first baseman number five overall. 
my current ranking for Vlad is first baseman number two, and I actually have him jumping Cody Bellinger, DJ LeMahieu, and Max Muncie. My why is that we've talked about him enough already, so I'll keep it both brief and qualitative here. Vlad has addressed the main issue that was holding him back from being the generational talent that we were all excited for and expecting as he tore his way through the minors a few years ago, which is that the launch angle off uh, or the launch angle of the balls off of his bat was lacking in the majors. He has fixed that this year. We've, we've talked about it in great detail, so I'll spare you that, but Vlad is still just 22 years old. Um, so for me, there is no reason to expect that this is simply a flash in the pan as his track record of being absolutely dominant in the minors is actually longer than his track record of stinking in the majors was entering this season. If you combine that with Bellinger's injury, the opposite trajectories of a 22-year-old star in Vlad and a 32-year-old star in DJ LeMahieu, and obviously Max Muncie, while he's a good player, wouldn't be that hard to jump if you know a player like Vlad had a breakout. There's not really much left to wonder about as to why I like to call him Flabby Jr. has jumped these thir- these three first basemen to be my new first baseman number two overall. And I'll actually dare to say, I don't think it's totally out of the question that he jumps Freddie Freeman as the unanimous number one first baseman by season's end either. Jerwin, who do you have as your riser among players? All right, so I'll be honest with you guys up front. I did a bad thing and picked two players from my team for both riser and faller. Uh, But my riser player is um, Jesse Winker. Uh, he's been he's been on a tear of late um, in terms of where I saw him as a, at the draft. Um, obviously, a late round long shot kind of guy. I'm pretty sure he was Bomb's last pick of the draft. Um, and so almost went undrafted. I sort of forgot about him, honestly. Um, I actually like Winker. I have him in my um, other dynasty league. Um but he wasn't really a consideration for me in this league being so much deeper of a league and uh, especially for the, the points format that we have. But um, now I, I think he's an animal. And uh, while his current pace I don't think is sustainable, um, his underlying stats I think support his breakout. He's shown in the past both the ability to hit for contact and to hit for power separately. Uh, but this year, um, he's showing that he can put it both together at the same time. And I think that points to um, this being this being a real thing and final round keeper value for that guy as well. I think um, I looked today, I think he's the fifth highest scorer at uh, the left field position. Uh, I think he stays top 10 the rest of the year. Yeah, and I'll apply some context to your pick of Jesse Winker in in sharing what maybe not everybody in the league knows is that Jerwin has been high on Jesse Winker going back like three years at least. It's probably been more than that. But just wanted to share that Jerwin has long been awaiting the Jesse Winker breakout. And... And I'll also share on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I actually own him in one of my dynasty leagues as well. And I was actually kind of feeling the opposite. I know that uh, Jerwin was, you know, waiting and waiting for the Jesse Winker breakout. 
with optimism. I was starting to become pessimistic on Vlad, and I, that's kind of where I nicknamed him Flabby uh, instead of Vladdy because I paid a king's ransom for him in my dynasty league. I pay, I, I know this may not mean much to you guys in, in the keeper league, but I traded before he came up and was bad. Joe Adele, CJ Abrams, Nick Gonzalez, who's the number one pick for the pirates last year, or I should say their first round pick as well as two first round picks in our rookie draft. So I paid a lot for Vlad and he stunk for over a year on my team. So it's fine. It's nice to finally reap the rewards there. And uh, nice for you, Jerwin, and your other dynasty to finally reap the rewards of Jesse Winker. Jake, who do you have as the riser for the players? All right, so I picked somebody from Brendan's team, and that was Byron Buxton. Now, this is another one that we've already talked about, but uh, looking at my rankings, he is definitely the one that has moved up the farthest. I had him so far down my board that I knew I wasn't going to get him, uh, and this, this, that was kind of by design because I didn't want him. But now I have him as a top six center fielder. He's only behind. Uh, I was kind of debating on whether to put him behind or ahead of George Springer, but I think I'm going to stick with the track record um, of Springer there. But uh, he's always behind Trout, Acuna, Bellinger, uh, and Springer. I think there's one more. I'm not recalling off the top of my head. But uh, Buxton's always had a lot of talent. Um, he's He was the former top prospect, but it feels like he's been around forever, but he's not that old. Um but this has this is the best we've ever seen him in terms of being just a pure hitter. Uh, he is 94th percentile or better in just about every quality of contract contact and batted ball metric, and he's both hitting the ball hard and barreling it up consistently. Now he is one of the fastest players in the ma- in the majors, so his speed allows him to take extra bases and make things happen on the base paths. So he's able to make more. He's able to beat out some infield singles and a gap where he could turn a double into a triple. He can do a lot of things. Uh, he's a very exciting player, fun player to watch. But I think really it's only a matter of staying healthy for him at this point, which has been a problem in his career. But the talent that he's showing right now and the production that he's showing right now, uh, especially at a position as shallow as center field, um, he he's a stud. And uh I definitely wish that I maybe I would have taken a harder look at him and uh, maybe pushed him up my draft board. Cause I don't have him. I don't have him anywhere. Yeah. I was going to say he would have been a tough get in our league because Brendan took him in our keeper expansion draft. I think before you even got a chance to pick and you certainly can't be disappointed with your pick in that same draft, which is Vladimir Guerrero jr. But I was only, I was just actually about to ask you, but you spoiled it. Do you happen to have any dynasty shares of Byron Buxton that we don't know about since we're all talking about players that we have shares of in different leagues, <laughs> but I guess yeah. you do not. Not um, in a single spot. I don't blame you. He's uh, I think he's 28 years old now, so he's not young, but he's not old either. He, he just had a hard time staying on the field. I think every single year uh, going back at least four or five years, he's been hurt and missed some time throughout the season. Hasn't happened really yet. I don't think he's hit the disabled or the injured list yet this season. He has missed a couple days just with some nagging injuries. So fingers crossed for Brendan. Yeah, he is a stud when he's on the field. Uh, That is Byron Buxton. For our fallers, uh, my faller among the teams is, and this one actually came as a surprise to me because I still like the team on paper. It's TP Prez, Sam's team. 
the ranking that I had for his team coming out of the draft was six amongst our 12 teams. My current ranking for his team is ninth. And I actually have Brendan, Jordan, and Nick having jumped him in the team rankings. The wise, again, I mentioned that this is a surprising pick for me as I think it's still one of the top rosters in the league on paper. But the results have been disappointing so far. Sam is now off to a 4-4 four and four start, and his team has been especially underwhelming of late, combining for just over 300 total points across his past two matchups. And the weakness in disguise that stands out to me is the pitching staff. Uh, Aaron Nola is about the only arm that you can confidently count on. And while Kyle Hendricks and Zach Greinke have lengthy track records of success, they've been very shaky so far this season. Overall, um, and Sam and I have even talked about this, I've liked what he has done on paper and his moves via trade thus far in the season, but they don't seem to be aging well given that the pitching staff is kind of the foundation of most successful teams and his is shaky at best at the moment. Uh, Jake, who did you have as your faller among the teams in our league? All right, so since you took Sam, I'll pivot to my other one and maybe this will be good because he can give a rebuttal. I have Jerowin, and I'm sorry, but originally I had him around sixth or seventh. Um, I like the keeper foundation a lot. I mean, I, I think I, I said in the first episode, he was probably my the second best keeper pool uh, coming into the draft, but not a lot has gone right so far. Uh, coming out of the draft, I still liked the keeper pool, and now you have more stars adding to it. So uh, in theory, the the team should have been should have been good, but so far, the injuries have really been hurting. I don't think I don't think that we've uh, we've seen the team at full strength yet. Um, combine that with Kyle Tucker's been been in a slump. Uh, some of the other offensive pieces haven't worked out real well. Brandon Lau comes to mind. I think uh, Max Muncy's starting to slump a little bit. Um, that's been hurting a lot. Uh, without seeing uh, even Giolito's hasn't hasn't performed uh, up to par, but. Yeah, so far the injuries have been hurting. Without a win, uh, I think it's going to be an uphill battle to to make the playoffs. Go yeah, ahead, I guess I guess I'll I guess I'll um, chime in. I mean, I agree. I things have not gone like I thought they would. Um, I'll be honest. After after the draft, I was like, I don't know how I feel about how I drafted, and then after like the first two weeks, I was like, oh yeah, this is really bad. Um, Jake's right. Like injuries haven't helped me and guys like Kyle Tucker and Dansby Swanson being one of my keepers just completely fell off the face of the earth. Um, his performance is why I took Giolito in the first round um, by taking him in the keeper expansion instead of I was going to take Trey Turner, but I was like, eh, don't, don't spend it when you have a, a keeper at shortstop, maybe back that up in like a mid round situation. But regardless, it didn't work out super well. Um, I, I do think better days are ahead of me. I, I think I've done a good job sort of, plugging as many holes as I, I can with what I've got so far. Um, I, I don't think I'm the bottom of the barrel in the league necessarily moving forward, but 
yeah, with a with a start like this, I'm I'm not feeling great. <laughs> yeah, your team has been. I think it's fair to say it's been falling in in your personal rankings. It seems as your from your own assessment and Jake's as well as mine, but certainly have a core to turn things around. But who do you have as your faller among the teams in our league, Jerwin? Yeah, I also had Sam, um, and I I picked this as more of a a trend faller than as a you know expectations faller. Uh, just over the past two weeks, like you mentioned, he's only combined for three hundred or so points, um, and I was just looking over the um, the past 14 days stats for his his players and you're right the the pitching staff has not performed well but the offense hasn't really helped him out either it just feels like all of the wheels are falling off of Sam's team all at the same time right now um I definitely saw him as a as a surefire player playoff team uh going into the year um maybe if like things go wrong he falls to being like a bubble team fighting for the wild card spots but i i think as of right now um unless the ship writes itself on its own uh he's gonna be fighting for a playoff spot in my mind and um if if he wants to make sure that that happens that he that he makes it in the end i think he's gonna have to make some roster moves uh to plug the holes before he sinks sure do you want to go ahead and turn around and give us your faller among the players in your personal rankings jaron sure uh this was already mentioned and i said before i just picked a, another player from my team but lucas giolito i have as as my follower with the slow start that he's had um, so far this year, um, similar to you, Nate, with Vlad Guerrero, uh, I traded for him many years ago when he was still a prospect for the Washington Nationals. Uh, and I've, I waited so very patiently for him to be good. I almost dropped him uh, heading into the league uh, the, the year he finally had his breakout, and I'm glad I didn't. But Right now, uh, you know, he had two weeks ago had that horrible start, uh, just one inning of work, and then missed his his two start that Sunday because of a, a cut on his finger. This week, very mediocre starts. Um, so obviously, I valued him highly going into the draft and having taken him uh, in the keeper expansion with my first round pick. Um, I still think he's a very high end pitcher. I'm not really panicking. Uh, in my mind, he's only had one really bad outing this year. And then really bad, maybe an understatement to be yeah. fair. <laughs> yeah. it was... he's, he's had one complete blow up outing this yeah. year. Um, followed by uh, one bad inning of work. I think he was left in for the seventh inning. Um, I believe that was Tuesday this week. 
Yeah, to be fair, we were all, I think, as a league, collectively disappointed that you chose Giolito in the keeper expansion draft because I think everybody wanted a chance to take him in the first round. But uh, I still have very high expectations for Giolito. If you're really feeling down about him, please send an offer my way. I'd be happy to add Giolito to my pitching staff. And I think this isn't my pick for Faller among the players, but somebody that's almost in the same conversation, reminiscent, even maybe a little bit worse in terms of how far he has fallen, at least based on his early season performance. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if this was Jake's pick, but Luis Castillo on my team uh, has come off to a similarly slow start and hasn't even really shown the same flashes of dominance in any of his starts that Lucas Giolito at least has shown in a start or two this season. But that was not my faller among players. I will go ahead and share that my player that has fallen the most in my rankings is Francisco Lindor. Coming out of the draft, uh, I actually wasn't as high on him as maybe some were. I had him as my shortstop six overall. But my current ranking of Francisco Lindor is actually shortstop 10 overall. And I have Bo Bichette, Carlos Correa, Tim Anderson, and believe it or not, a guy that I did not like coming out of the draft, but I will admit my mistake now, Chris Taylor, super utility man for the Dodgers, jumping Francisco Lindor in my shortstop rankings. My why is that while the plate discipline hasn't changed much and is still elite, Francisco Lindor hasn't been able to come close to making good contact this season with a barrel percentage in only the 12th percentile among all qualified hitters, which is terrible. And uh, to give you an idea of what barrel percentage is, it's a combination of launch angle and how hard a player hits the ball. So basically he has not been making good contact at all. Um, While the plate discipline and the speed are certainly helpful. I just don't see the profile as being that much different from a guy like, dare I say, David Fletcher of the Angels, who has very good plate discipline but weak contact, who can certainly still be an asset in points league points leagues as ours is, but he won't be a difference-making asset, in my opinion, until the quality of contact ticks back up to being elite like it has been in the past for Francisco Lindor. Um, And while I'm not totally ruling out a bounce back, we have seen players have disappointing seasons directly following the signing of their mega contracts. I believe both Manny Machado and Bryce Harper had down years in their first seasons with the Padres and Phillies respectively. Jake, who did you have for your faller among players? All right. So I had Chris Paddock and uh, I originally had him as my starting pitcher 30, uh, Coming into the year, there was a lot of talk about Paddock embracing analytics and getting that fastball back to what it was in 2019, and I fully bought in. I thought that uh, I, I thought that he was that he was finally going to get the spin right back. Everything was going to be just fine. Fast forward to today, things are not just fine. Uh, he's now outside my top 50. Um, he's at the point now where he kind of needs to string a couple starts together where we actually see improvement for him to be in any of the line and get back into the lineups where I do have him. Uh, So far, it's been mostly the 2020 results, the spin rates uh, back. It was back up a little bit in the last start, but the results still weren't there. Uh, He already carries a lot of risk only being a two-pitch guy, but he has shown in the past that he could uh, still be pretty good despite that. I bought back into that, but 
like I said, I it, it looks like my faith was misplaced. The spin rate is where it is in 2020. The fastball is very hittable again, and you can't survive with just a good changeup. So Chris Paddock is my faller. So as a recap, our team risers were Brendan for me and Jake, Nick for Jerwin. Our player risers were Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for me, Byron Buxton for Jake, Jesse Winker for Jerwin. Fallers, we had Jerwin was Jake's pick, Sam was my pick, and he was Jerwin's pick as well. And then fallers among players were Francisco Lindor for me, Chris Paddock for Jake, and Lucas Giolito for Jerwin. All right, over under three and a half trade offers for Lucas Giolito after this podcast airs, just from the league. Just, just real quick, just for the record, <laughs> I am not pass- panicking on Lucas Giolito. <laughs> I think he's gotten a little bit unlucky in his last three starts. And okay. really terrible in one. Don't send me by low offers. He's clearly Gilito. not a morning person. I don't know what the big deal He's is. He's not. I don't know why they made him pitch that early. Terrible. Yeah, he pitched at what, 11 a.m. on Patriots Day? Yeah, baseball games starting at 11 a.m. should be illegal. I agree. And Jerwin, I know you've mentioned it multiple times, both privately to texts to me as well as other people, as well as in our group chat. But would you like to take this opportunity to make the public service announcement of your view of how you use the trade block? Yes, the the trade block, if I put them on there, you can ask them about them. If they are not on there, they are. you can consider them untouchable. There you have it. So... If they are not listed on Jerwin's trade block, do not ask him about those players, or he is even less likely to trade with you than he would have before. And Jerwin is not... I don't consider you an active trader, Jerwin. I don't know if you take offense to that, but I do not consider you an active trader among managers in our league. No, the fact that I made a trade already this year is is a shock, and everyone should take it as such. It was a good move. I think it was a good move for... For both teams, you gave up Cindergard was the main piece from your side. Mm-hmm. Nick gave up Ian Anderson. So I like that move. I think it was a good fit for both teams. We talked about it in last week's episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I think I needed to do it, but eh. trading, trading is very stressful for me. And I just try and ride the waivers as best I can. Sure. Jake, why don't you give us your standout player of the week? All right, this is going to be another aging pitcher who turned back the clock this week, but I swear I'm not going to make this an every week thing where I pick just a uh, a pitcher who I used to enjoy a lot and uh, he had a good week. So I know I picked Bumgarner last week, but this week I chose Corey Kluber, who delivered two great starts, totally 14.2 innings pitched with eight hits, one earned run, three walks, 15 strikeouts, two wins, and 55.5 points. Uh, Kluber delivered a week like the good old days when we considered him an ace of fantasy baseball. He capped it off today with eight shutout innings and 10 strikeouts. While a return to fantasy aced him, wouldn't really be a fair expectation for him. Uh, and he has, and to be fair, he has struggled up to this point. This week did show some really good signs. Uh, he really had some problems with his control through his first four starts, but through his for, for his last two, those were his lowest uh, walk percentages of the season through both games. And uh, while it's not back to what it was in 2018, 
which was the, I believe the last full season he pitched his velocity has been trending up and I believe he was sitting 91 and 92 in his start today. Uh, but for his career, Kluber has been a notoriously slow starter. So it is possible that his slow start this season uh, was kind of just that, which was a slow start for a pitcher who hasn't thrown for the better part of two years and uh, really nothing more. I think that he, with the volume that he can give you, I think that he's fully capable of being a top 30 pitcher the rest of the way if he stays healthy. And to be honest, that's a pretty scary proposition, being that he's on the team that just outpaced the league by 100 points. Yeah, and, and the craziest part about Kluber's breakout performance this week is that he was on Courtney's bench. And had she started him over, say, Frankie Montas, I believe she would have crossed the 450-point threshold. Uh, so she could have really put an exclamation point had Kluber been part of her lineup, but glad she saved me the embarrassment of, of blowing me out by over 150 points. Corey Kluber is Jake's standout player of the week. Let's move on and look ahead to week five in our matchup preview segment. Jake, I'll start with you. Who do you have as the best matchup for the coming week? All right. I feel like I got to pick my matchup with JC because it is a battle for first place in our division. Uh, Anytime there's a matchup with high stakes and it's between two of the top three teams in the overall standing so far, uh, I think that one's got to be got to be near the top of the board. I think it should be close. It should be high scoring. There's some, like I said before, there's stakes attached to it. Uh, I'm just happy I got Degrom going twice this week because I, I think this is the week I'll really need him. But I, I think we've we've all we've both spoken very highly of JC's team. I still like my team. I think this is going to be a good one, and you got to love that it's uh, that it that it has that has the stakes that it does. So that that is my. That is my pick for best matchup. Yeah, that's an exciting one that I'm looking forward to watching. Jerwin, who do you have as the best matchup coming into this week? Uh, I had the same one. Uh, not much more to add. It's just two heavyweights going at it. Um, should be either close or high scoring or both. So uh, that'll be a good one to watch. Yeah, and I went with a similar theme while choosing a different matchup. I chose Kenny Ross Mercedes versus Pine Run Market. That is Jordan versus Nick. Similar in the sense that there are some pretty big standings implications coming out of this matchup. Nick is currently in third place in the East Division. Jordan is currently in fourth place. And while it may seem like an unlikely pick for best matchup, because of course Jake and JC will be a very good matchup, I'm excited to watch this head-to-head battle for third place in the East Division between Jordan and Nick. While Nick currently has sole possession of third place, I believe Jordan would be able to leapfrog him in the divisional standings with a head-to-head win and a 2-0 finish on the week. I've mentioned before that I really like what Jordan has going on with his rotation, which is comprised of Tyler Glasnow, Dylan Bundy, now Pablo Lopez, who we got from Nick, Charlie Morton, and Michael Pineda, who has been very good so far this season. And while I'm not as crazy about his offense, uh, Jordan still does have a few studs like DJ LeMahieu, Jose Ramirez, and George Springer, who could carry the offense on any given week. On the other side of the matchup, you have the virtual dark horse of the league with Nick's team. We've talked about how he's risen up through the rankings, Pine Run Market. And in particular for Nick, I think his pitching staff is sneakily one of the best in the league. 
I really liked his pick of Christian Javier in, in our draft, and he's being rewarded for it handsomely. And like I've already mentioned, Nick got a free staff ace in Trevor Rogers that I'm not sure I can ever live down. It might quite literally be my worst drop ever, but I'm glad that Nick was the one that got him before anyone else at the very least. And he also has one of the biggest breakouts at starting pitcher this season in Carlos Rodon, who has SPARP eligibility since he's carrying that relief pitcher positional eligibility as well. The crazy part with respect to Rodon is that Nick draft, and I think we've mentioned this before since I ended up confusing Carlos Rodon as a waiver wire pickup, but Nick drafted him in the very last round of this past draft, and he's basically been the holy trifecta in checking checking all the major boxes. Is he a breakout player? Yep. Is he a breakout starting pitcher in particular? Yep. Does he have any keeper value? Definitely does. And is he a Sparp? You bet he is. So Nick kind of hit the holy grail there with Carlos Rodon. And I'm really excited to watch this matchup and see if Nick's early season breakouts can keep the ball rolling. If I could add one thing to this matchup, I do think that there are some more stakes with this one as well, because whoever whoever gets the third spot in this division is guaranteed to make the playoffs. We've all, we've all talked about how we think that the the West division is is very good. They, they have they definitely have five playoff worthy teams. If you don't get a top three finish, you are in danger of missing the playoffs. And I think that these are the two teams right now that are we would say are battling for third place in the uh, in the East division. Yeah, definitely. On the other side of the coin, with worse matchups, I have. And Jerwin, don't take offense. I have Testicular Torkelson versus Team Andrew Bomb 12. No offense, Jerry, but this is kind of our toilet bowl match of the week based simply on the combined records of you and Andrew's teams, which is one in 15, which is uh, you don't need to meet. You don't need me to say it, but not good. (laughs) (laughs) While I did have relatively high expectations for your team entering the season based on the elite keepers, both in talent and discount, it has become pretty clear that it is one of the weaker rosters in the league, at least for the early part of our season so far. I think you have the pieces to really turn this thing around with Burns, Giolito, and Anderson, who are a great top three to have. Um, And they can have a great week in any given matchup. But I really think it's going to take Carlos Carrasco and Mike Soroka being their vintage selves when they come back from injury in order for your team to kind of make the jump from among the weakest teams at the moment to one of the strongest in the entire league. That being said, like we're all able to, you can make moves to get there. And like I said, the hardest part of gathering a rock-solid core to build a juggernaut around it is already done since you have some of those guys that I've mentioned. On the other side of the matchup, you have a roster that's been left untouched virtually since the moment our draft went live. Uh, He made no live picks. He hasn't made any ads, if I remember correctly. Doesn't change his lineup, doesn't utilize his IR spots when a healthy portion of his team is hurt. No text backs, no texts back for apparently everyone but me. And ultimately, I I just have to be honest at this point, no effort. Uh, It's really sad when that happens. And I personally think, I'll say this on the air, air, that we're going to have to see a real change by season's end to justify not replacing the manager or Team Andrew Bomb 12. Any thoughts or a disagreement at worst matchup 
Did you guys have anything different? Well, I'm not. Go ahead, Jerwin. I'll let you jump in first. I'm not. I'm not gonna take offense because I had the same one. Uh, just the the opposite side of the coin of the Jake JC matchup. Uh, not really much at stake between our two teams, and you know, Bomb's team. I, I think to spoil my pick for this, but I I, I think I should win this matchup. Uh, handily and less something goes horribly wrong but even then it's not gonna not gonna be a huge deal I could I could win this matchup and still be like third worst or or something like that so yeah I I, I don't disagree with anything you've said so no no offense at all and Mr. Commissioner I'll ask what your opinion is on my thoughts on specifically Andrew's team but then I will also ask you to segue into your pick for worst matchup after that uh I'll deal with that in the off season <laughs> okay so no comment from the manager no no comment okay but who's I, your yeah, pick for I, worst I, matchup I had the same I had the same thing I I don't really have anything else to add other than what you guys have already talked about uh on once, I mean, I do think this is big for Jerowin because he does he does need to win. But I mean, there's there's no no stakes here on the other side. Sure. Yeah. yeah if I could, just one more thing. I think there's a lot of like really good matchups this week too. So it this one is just easy pickings. Yeah, that's fair. Let's move on to our matchup predictions, Jake. There was actually a stat correction last week much to the dissatisfaction of Eddie. So you and Jordan actually both went three and three last week. So that would bring Jordan's, you know, official historical record to three and three. That would actually change your record from what we thought was 12 and six to now 11 and seven. And that actually gives me an extra win. So I thought that we were both 12 and six. You are now 11 and seven. I am now 13 and five after the stat correction. But let's jump into this week's picks. First matchup I have is number one contender versus TP Prez. I will lead us off and say that I think TP Prez is going to win this matchup. And you'll notice a theme with all of my picks that I actually went through and looked at how many starts each team had. And I noticed that Sam has a lot, so I'm picking him to win this matchup. Who did you have? Jerowin, I'll ask you first. Um, I've got you winning this matchup. Um, I guess similar reasoning then to why you picked yourself this week against Courtney. Uh, his pitching staff, even though it's going to have more starts this week, uh, doesn't show me that it's good enough to actually pull out the win. Hopefully in, in your case and in my prediction records case, I it actually pans out that way this time. But um, yeah, I think uh, TP Prez is, is just trending in the wrong direction at the wrong time, running into uh, number one contender who's a, a top scorer week in and week out. Jake? I also, I also have Nate in this one. Um, I think I, I do see your point, but where you said that uh, Sam has a lot more starts, but I think the difference, I, I know that I picked Courtney because she did have a lot of starts, but Sam does not have Courtney's offense to uh, to provide that floor. So I am going with, with Nate on this one. Well, I appreciate the votes of confidence, fellas. 
Uh, let's move on to the next matchup: Cleveland White Males versus Team C Deemer. I uh, might ruffle your guys's feathers here again by picking what you wouldn't expect me to, and say that I have Brendan Cleveland White Males winning this matchup. Jake, who do you have winning the matchup? I mean, I guess maybe we should know better than picking against Brennan by now, but I, after the one week, after taking a one week hiatus, I think Courtney's team again looks like the juggernaut we saw in the first two weeks of the season. And uh, that's even with leaving a couple guys on the bench who went off. So, uh, yeah, I'm picking Courtney. Jerwin? Yeah, I'm also going with Courtney in this matchup. Um, I will say to my point earlier, though, I think it's going to be a good matchup. It certainly has the possibility to be close, and it's not like Brendan's team is just I, – I don't think they're going to get completely blown out or anything. I just think uh, Courtney's team is just too strong to, to bet against despite Brendan's team being too Brendan to bet against. Sure. I think this is one that we'll all agree on. We have Big Money Mike versus Gone Forever. Mike versus Eddie in our next matchup. I have Mike walking away as the winner in this one. Jerwin, who do you have walking away in this matchup? Yep, same thing here. Uh, a little bit of a, a down week for Mike after the uh, the pinnacle of his performance the week before. But uh, I think he bounces back, has another good week, and, and gets the win. Jake? Yeah, I also have Mike. Uh, Eddie's two best starters just landed on the on the injured list. So, uh, yeah, definitely got Mike here. We're slipping up this week. I think I called it the disabled list once. You called it the disabled list once. We're living in 2017 here. Unwoke. I believe, I believe a couple weeks ago I called it the IR. I don't know where that came from. Yeah, there's too many, too many names for it floating around. IR and fantasy, formerly the disabled list in Major League Baseball, now the injured list. We just need to all call it one thing as an entire sports community. It should be called the same thing in every single league. That's I, my I opinion can get behind on, that. on the matter. I'll vote for that, yeah. The next one is uh, the matchup I believe that both of you had as the best coming into the week. Jake's fantasy baseball team versus JC. I'll spoil and give my pick by saying I think, Jake, you are going to maintain your newfound first place in the standings and win this matchup. Jerwin, why don't you pick next, and then we'll let Jake uh, share how he feels about the matchup. I'll go ahead and take JC then and let Jake be the tiebreaker. Um, he's obviously both teams really strong, uh, but JC's roster is is still one of the best, and I, I think he ekes out a, uh, a tough, tough one W. Jake, uh, what so are you now thinking? I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna lose this match for sure now because I <laughs> I had picked myself. Because I I it's hard to go. I think it's hard for me to pick against a team that has Degrom going twice. So I think I'll always have a shot when that's the case. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna stick with that and pick. I think I'll win this week. You know, Jake, I will say that is certainly not flawed logic. Degrom going twice is one of the biggest assets you can have in terms of a weekly circumstance. But I thought, you know, with the quality of starters I was throwing this week versus Courtney's quantity, I thought, oh, it's so hard to pick against. And I mentioned it on last week's episode, Bieber, Lynn, Scherzer, Kershaw. But still, I got blown out of the water. So I'm not saying you're the 
the reasoning behind your pick is wrong. I'm just saying that I felt like I had relatively similar reasoning last week, and it didn't even end up being close. I hope you're right because I'm picking you too, but uh, we could certainly be in for a uh, surprise. We will see. Next matchup is Kenny Ross Mercedes versus Pine Run Market, my pick for best matchup of the week. I have Nick winning this matchup, Pine Run Market. Jake, who do you have? I think Jordan starts a new streak here, and I think he's going to walk away with the with the win in this one. Jerry? Yeah, I also picked Nick. I'm in preparing for this podcast, just looking at uh, his team. Uh, I, I think I'm just really high on Nick, and I, I would also just love the story of the guy who decided to sell early, making it to the playoffs. So I'm kind of pulling for him, too. Yeah, he's kind of following in your footsteps for selling really early in the season like you did last year. But, And I guess technically, if we're being literal, you made playoffs last year too. So he might follow in your footsteps to the T since we all made playoffs last year. I walk so Pine Run Market could run. Exactly. (laughs) That's why he has run in the middle. Uh, Our last matchup of the week Team Andrew Bomb 12 versus Testicular Torkelson. All of our picks for worst matchup of the week. I have Jerowin winning this matchup. Do you guys uh, have a different result? I doubt it, but Jerowin? Yeah, I think my team is trending up, and I think it's going to continue to. I really hope it does, so picking myself here. Jake? I, I don't have anything substantial to add. I picked Jerowin. <laughs> Sounds good. So that brings us to our around the league portion of the podcast. Jake, I'm going to toss it to you for our league history fact of the week. Before 2021, Mike Trout had been selected first overall for four straight years, which happened to be every year uh, that this league has been in existence. And the streak was broken this year with Brennan picking Juan Soto first overall while Trout slid all the way to fourth overall to Courtney. I will jump in and say that I think Juan Soto is the heir apparent to Mike Trout to be the perennial number one overall pick. So I think that if anyone were to break that streak, Juan Soto was the appropriate man to do so. I do think it was a little foolish to let Mike Trout slide to fourth. Um, Particularly, and, and I get where he was coming from. He already had somebody at center field and did not at first base, but Freddie Freeman in the top three, that was like the biggest shock to me. Freddie Freeman going over Mike Trout. Um, did you guys have any, any thoughts to add on this, on this league fact history fact? Yeah. If Courtney wins the league this year, I probably won't forgive Justin for letting her take Mike Trout at four. <laughs> she, she already has Ronald Acuna. She doesn't need him. She just doesn't. Yeah, I can't yeah. even. I was gonna say I can't even fault, and I know it was auto pick, but I can't even fault anybody anybody for taking Mookie Betts over Mike Trout. Like I would take Trout because the positional scarcity at center field is just greater than than at right field. But Mookie Betts is up there with Trout too, so I can't even fault that pick. But Freeman, that was the one that like that that definitely turned my head. Probably everybody else's too. What were you gonna say, Jake? Yeah, I mean, I. If she wins the league, it's not because she got Mike Trout fourth overall. <laughs> but uh, um, no, but I can still blame JC for it. For- <laughs> <laughs> hey, it yeah, could it was be. A, 
What if she's down by five points on the very last day of the championship round and Mike Trout is the last man playing in a game on her team and he hits a home run? Can you imagine if it's against JC too? That would be Wouldn't so that be amazing. something? And f- or let's say Freddie Freeman and Mike Trout are the only two left playing somehow, some way, and the matchup is tied in Mike Trout. Or let's even say that JC is up by one. And Freddie Freeman strikes out. Mike Trout takes a walk. Courtney wins by one. Imagine. <laughs> I I could not. I I will not. I will not wish that on on anyone because I I know for myself I would be thinking about like what could I have done? Why didn't I just pick Mike Trout ahead of him like all year if that happens? <laughs> no, that's not gonna happen. And again, I like. I had glowing reviews for JC's draft. If you remember, like I texted him the day of our draft after it happened and said, like, really admire that you stuck to your strategy. I was just still surprised circumstantially that Freddie Freeman was drafted ahead of Mike Trout. I think that that's kind of like a fair statement to make that uh, Freddie Freeman being drafted ahead of Mike Trout is, is a head turner of a pick. Yeah, I still like Freddie Freeman. I mean, it's not like it, it's hard to call call Freddie Freeman a bad pick there, even though it wasn't. Yeah, no, I, it's it's not that Freddie Freeman was a bad pick. It's just that I just can't believe Mike Trout got to four. Courtney happened to be the beneficiary there, but good for her. And I think Mike Trout will probably enter the top three again next year, would be my guess. As a quick update, I know Jordan mentioned this in our group chat, but he is going to start uh, contributing on our podcast here for Jordy the General Sportsbook, the weekly segment that we're going to have from him starting next week will be the first week that we do it. So stay tuned for that. And uh, let's wrap up the episode with our news and notes segment. Fellas, this is going to be a lengthy one. So uh, get prepared to give me your thoughts and, and have some discussion around these pieces of news and notes. Framber Valdez has begun throwing again, and Houston Astros pitching coach Brent Strom has said publicly that once Valdez reaches five innings in an outing, which he presumes will take about two to three rehab appearances, that Framber Valdez will rejoin the major league team and make his season debut. So I ask you guys, since it sounds like Valdez will be pitching at nearly a full workload by the end of May, do either of you think that he will prove to be one of the best draft day values aside from the breakouts that we uh, that seemingly came out of nowhere? Like think of Carlos Rodon. I don't want to call Trevor Rogers out of nowhere because I know a lot of people were excited about him coming into this year, but still nobody expected this. A guy that's been good before, in essence, is what I'm talking about. Framber Valdez was good last year. You think he's going to prove to be one of the best bargains from our draft day? Jake, I'll ask you first. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I I wasn't really totally on board with Valdez coming into this year, but I, I think we spoke on that before. Uh, but yeah, if he can get back to what he was last year, if that if he validates that what he did last year was real, then yeah, he'll absolutely be one of the best uh, best values going into next year. Jaron, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I would have to see what he does this year if he can actually reproduce. Um, where he was at last year but even if i think i think last year his mark was like 14 points a game he was averaging in fantasy um even if he like drops a little bit to like 12 or something i think a 16th round pick is is good value for a guy like that so um should he do something like that once he returns in the year out uh, i think 
certainly uh, up there just below the tier of, of breakouts. Sure. And he was actually out with a broken finger in his pitching hand that they were considering getting surgery for, which would have required him to miss most of the season, if not all of the fantasy season in particular. That being the case, do either of you have any reservations with regard to re-injury risk? Uh, Jerwin, I'll ask you first. Um, not a medical expert. I don't know that <laughs> I've heard of like broken finger being a, a perennial issue coming back over and over. But I mean, if it's something that they wanted to get surgery for and decided not to, I guess that's always a risk. Uh, one thing I'll add is that Valdez is on Nick's team, right? That's right. It's just another guy. If Valdez comes back and starts performing, like Nick, Nick, starting to get a little bit scary. Yeah, you're starting to ride the same train that Jordan was, which is that Pine Run Market is a scary team. That's the team that he said he would not want to play come playoffs. It's still early in the season. You never know how the roster is going to look two months from now. But Jake, what did you? What do you think in terms of re-injury risk? Yeah, I'm just going to shoot you straight. I don't have any idea what the re-injury risk is for a for a broken figure. I don't so either. I, and it sounds really odd to say, like, what are the odds that he re-injures a broken finger? The only thing that gave me pause was that they opt, they obviously opted not to get him corrective surgery for this issue in his pitching hand. So my thought is, if they push surgery off, and I don't even know the details to answer these questions, but is this a surgery that he's going to need to get in the offseason? Uh, is it something that they're going to try to let heal and hope that they don't need to get surgery at all. So just the the whole surgery factor, they were kind of on and off about it. That's the only thing that prompts me to ask the question, could there be potential risk of re-injury? I'm in the same boat as you guys. I don't really claim to know, but it, it is at least a thought in my mind since, again, they were talking about surgery. And it's a different issue, but it's kind of the same way that I was thinking about Tatis. Like they're put, They decided not to go with surgery, but it is definitely going to be happening in his future. Could it be possible that he re-injures it and needs it sooner than the end of the season? I don't know if it's the same case with Framber Valdez, but I guess we'll see. Different side of the ball, Matt Chapman, third baseman for the Oakland Athletics. He has been reportedly unlearning some bad habits that he picked up while playing through a torn hip labrum last season. According to Matt Chapman himself, he was leaning on his sheer muscle last year to try and get the bat speed that he was accustomed to pre-injury when he was able to use his legs more to power his swing. Um, but this bad habit that he picked up of, of trying to muscle his way to the ball hurt his performance last season and has continued into this season. Now, given his de this development and him sharing that he's kind of trying to unlearn some of these habits, do you have any confidence that Matt Chapman can figure it out and become a low-end starter at third base again for fantasy? So roughly in the top 10 range. Jake, I'll ask you first. I was going to be – like Matt Chapman really doesn't do anything for me, to be honest. Like third base is really deep. He just – it's just kind of like I'm, – I'm not – I don't know if you're really ever going to be excited about having Matt Chapman as your starting third baseman. I mean, it's – sure, he could get back to – being around the tennis best third baseman, but I mean, even then, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I guess he could get there, but I, I wouldn't really be excited about having him as my starter. Jerry. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the same boat. I would first have to see that this 
new approaches is actually helping him with his numbers but just looking at his like overall profile as a player he's not someone that I I I don't think I would rely on him um, even with like an improvement upon you know fixing these these issues he's been having yeah, and I asked this question with the season in mind a few years ago when I believe he was, I want to say, part of Illin's team at the time where Matt Chapman was actually a pretty good third baseman. I I just, I don't know why. Sometimes you just have very random visual memories in your head. I remember one time looking at somebody else's roster. Again, I think it was Dylan's at the time. Matt, Ch- it, was a, it was a decent way into the season, not just like week one or week two where anybody can have any numbers. Matt Chapman was averaging like 3.1 points per game, which is good for our league standards. I think he was like the number seven overall third baseman. That's kind of the production that I had in mind when I was talking about, you know, can he become a lower end starter at third base again for fantasy? The thing that, that I struggle with to, to think that he can do that again is, is I don't really know how much the, uh, the way that he connects with the ball, like we were talking about, he muscles his way to the ball while he was hurt. He kind of picked up that habit versus just using his legs to get his natural swing back. I don't really know that that affects the plate discipline. It certainly could because plate approach and having a different swing could potentially make you strike out more or walk less or vice versa. But Matt Chapman strikes out a ton. And I don't know that a swing change will change that for a player like Matt Chapman. So I would kind of opt to say that I don't really think he's going to become a low-end starter again in our league, just simply because he strikes out too much, which is a killer in our league for players that strike out a lot. But Jerwin, let's move on to a player on your team, Luis Patino. It came out that he will be used as a follower going forward. He is a reliever for the Tampa Bay Rays. He remained on the Rays roster after his appearance, or I should say his major league debut with the Tampa Bay Rays last Sunday. He remained on their roster on Monday after uh, he he pitched in the team's 1-0 loss to Toronto last Sunday. And manager Kevin... Is it Kevin Cash or Brian Cash? Why am I blanking on this? Kevin Cash. Manager Kevin Cash said that the Rays will look to utilize the 21-year-old in a similar role moving forward, making him available to pitch out of the bullpen if needed. I'll ask you first, Jake. Does this provide optimism to you that he can be a difference-making reliever for fantasy this season? I guess he there. it's possible that he could kind of be in the same mold as a guy like Kopech. But I think we've seen a lot. I think we've seen a lot of other relievers like this where they just they they don't pitch enough to be fantasy relevant. Uh, maybe they don't get they don't really get enough holds. It, it kind of depends on the role that he's he's going to be in. Like, is he going to be high leverage situations? Is he just going to be kind of like a bulk reliever? Uh, but I, I think a lot of I think that context kind of matters. The Rays do have a lot of arms. I mean, I know that they're hurt right now, but their bullpen when it's fully healthy, they have a lot of guys that can pitch high leverage situations. So I, I think that he, I think it's possible, but I, I definitely wouldn't be, wouldn't be banking on it. Two things. It seems to me like based on these comments that he will be a bulk innings guy, since they specifically mentioned that they would like him to be a follower. Second thing, 
I know why I confused Brian and Kevin. It's because the general manager of the Yankees is Brian Cashman. So that's where my brain fart was. Jerwin, what are your thoughts on your guy, Luis Patino? Yeah, I think very similar to Jake. Um, but as a former Josh Hader owner, I am a big fan of the long reliever in in points leagues. I know Hader was more of a long innings and leverage situations. Um but yeah, knowing the Rays and their their weird approach to to pitching, I certainly think it's it's possible. Um, not something that I'm gonna be like, oh, I'm starting Patino every week from from now on. Um, but I mean, if he if he continues to perform as well as he's done so far, and I think he's he's only pitched twice, maybe three times. But um, if if he continues to to do well, I think he has. Um, a shot at at uh, producing enough to warrant a, a start. Sure. So something to monitor moving forward. I, I think I fall along the same lines with you there. He, he has the potential. Jake mentioned that. Um, but without a role, it, it's hard to, to say that he would be a set it and forget it. Even reliever, which is kind of one of the most volatile positions in our game where you could kind of sneak – Pretty much any name into your starting lineup if they're hot. Uh, Let's move on to a player that we've already touched on this episode, Byron Buxton. He has been dealing with patellar tendonitis all season, so kneecap uh, tendonitis. The Twins were without Byron Buxton in their starting lineup on Monday due to a slight worsening of patellar tendonitis that he has been playing through all season, according to the Twins manager Rocco Baldelli. Jerwin, I'll ask you first, since since Jake was the one to cover Byron Buxton in detail, how worried are we that Buxton's health won't hold up over a full season if there are already rumblings of injury management? Yeah, so in short, no, I'm not worried. Uh, he's clearly playing just fine, even with this bothering him. Missing time here and there is a problem, and if that starts to tick up like uh, IL trips, for him due to this issue then i might have a little bit more concern but this sort of injury doesn't strike me as something serious enough to warrant fear of re-injury either Um, tendonitis can certainly flare up over and over and lead to greater risk of more serious injury but he's got a major league medical staff taking care of them if if they're gonna like be careless enough to let him make it worse than, than that's really on them. I, I, I think he's still going to be fine unless some other news comes out about other issues he's having. Jake, your thoughts. I, I think if you didn't expect Byron Buxton to go on the injured list, at least a couple of times that you weren't really paying attention for the last couple of years, but I'm not really that worried about it. Uh, I kind of expected him to get hurt a couple of times just because, you know, that's, that's what's happened every year that he's played. Um, but yeah, I, I think like Jerwin said, it doesn't seem to be affecting him right now. And I, I don't have a lot of reason to believe it would moving forward other than I, I already kind of said, I thought that he was going to go on the IL at some point anyways. So, okay. Let me ask from a different angle, does tendonitis in the knee scare you off of his speed, which is pretty much one half of the very enticing skill set that he brings to the table, which is a really high ceiling power speed combo. Jake, I'll toss it to you first. 
Um, I guess I'm not as worried about it because he seems as long as it doesn't affect, I guess, him in the batter's box rather than him on the base paths, because that is much less of a part of our game as it would be as opposed to Roto. But uh, as long as it's not affecting him there, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really, he already has three stolen bases. So I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how much it's really impacting him when he's on the field. Sure. Jerwin, do you have any other thoughts? Yeah. I mean, just the fact that it's, he's been dealing with it all year already and he's still performing this well. He's still showing elite speed. I don't, I don't think unless it worsens, then I, I don't have any, any, any problems with this. Yeah, I believe he's 99th percentile this year in sprint speed. So it's, it's not like he, like this is, it doesn't seem like this is hindering him running so far. Yeah. Yeah. The only thought that I have, which I guess is a little bit different is if he's going to be stealing bases all the time. Uh, and I don't, I don't claim to know if, if you can actually like make tendonitis worse in terms of, of injuring it to the point of it becoming a serious issue. But if he's stealing bases all the time, I'm thinking, is that going to mean that his tendonitis is, this is kind of complete speculation, right? But is his tendonitis going to flare up more often based on the caliber of player that he is where he's running the base paths at a super high intensity all the time? That's the only thought I have total speculation. Um, and just based on his track record, it gives me pause because Jake, you've mentioned it a couple times. He goes on the IL once or more every single season. I'm just wondering if this is going to be a lingering issue all season long, like Jerwin alluded. Um, it could potentially become a problem if it does continue to linger all year and he has multiple IL trips because of it. But uh, there's a lot of reason to be excited about Buxton right now. I'm definitely not trying to rain on his parade, but I did think that this news coming out was interesting enough to, to mention here. Let's move on to, on the opposite side, a mightily struggling player. Entering Friday, Keston Hira had sat the prior two games with Daniel Beefcake Vogelbach starting at first base for the Milwaukee Brewers. Kesson Hira had a 567 OPS, which again is on base plus slugging, i.e., a very poor on base plus slugging percentage entering the weekend. I asked once during our week one overreaction segment, but I ask again, as it feels even more appropriate to do so now, is Keston Hira a drop for our league and pretty much all fantasy leagues outside of Dynasty? Jake, I'll let you answer first. Uh, you're talking to the guy that still has uh, Eugenio Suarez on his roster and uh, all the strikeouts like, that comes with that. But at least I'm he's not, starting every day. That's fair. But I, I'm I'm not I'm not quite there yet. But we're we're getting awfully close. Jerwin. Uh, yeah, I don't really have like a ton of experience looking into Keston Hira, but just checking him out today, um, his numbers don't impress me and they don't show that he can perform well enough to outpace his strikeouts, which in our points league format is a major, major killer. Uh, definitely a drop for me. Not, not really a buy low candidate either. 
if you think he might turn it around. I, I just don't see it. I expected nothing less coming from the guy who dropped his third round pick a week and a half into the season, and I'm glad you delivered. If I they agree. Suck, they Kessin, suck. If I agree, <laughs> Kesson Hira is a drop in my mind. Let's wrap up the episode with one of my original favorite players in fantasy when we first started this league, Blake Snell. Uh, and this is a bias pick in terms of one of my favorite guys. It's because, and you guys all know the history. I drafted him in the 23rd round, I think in 2017, the first year that we were playing the keeper format. And we talk about breakouts often. We talk about room for profit. We talk about high upside guys in the late rounds. That's all you can ask for. But when I say that it might quite possibly be, and and maybe not over like a full three-year keeper length, but in terms of just a one-year return, this might hold up forever as far as I'm concerned as the best pick ever made in our league history where a guy taken in the 23rd round not only breaks out, but he goes out and wins the AL Cy Young award. So this guy has been uh, a favorite of mine, even though I don't like him so much for fantasy anymore. I do still have a fond or a soft spot in my heart for Blake Snell after all these years, or I should say three years later, but let's talk about him here Blake Snell, according to the Padres manager, Jace Tingler, should be limited to around 90 pitches per start. And in his first start of this past matchup, Snell had thrown just 87 pitches and retired Max Muncy for the first out of the sixth inning when manager Jace Tingler emerged from the visitors' dugout to pull him from the game. And he confirmed after the game that Blake Snell will be limited to around 90 pitches in every start. And the Padres have indicated, even backing their manager, that they'll be cautious with his workload this season, which is reasonable considering that Blake Snell only eclipsed 130 innings one time during his tenure with the Tampa Bay Rays. Jerwin, I ask you first, does this verbal confirmation from the Padres manager move Blake Snell down in the rankings uh, for your personal list? Uh, Yeah, I someone getting limited in volume is always going to move them down. Um, But just a caveat, I think in the context of our league, uh, I think he's still talented enough. He gets, he gets a lot of strikeouts that I don't think Justin's going to be upset that he used his 12th round pick on, on a guy like Snell. Um, He's not going to be, you know, the, the Cy Young winner that you drafted him as, but I, I still think his, his value at, that point in the draft is is well worth it um a bummer for sure but still still not the worst case for for justin jake i ask you the same question and i'll actually also ask uh since you two co-manage a team together in the dynasty league that i recently started up and you guys traded pretty low for blake snell i'll say does this uh, move you? Does this move Blake Snell down in your personal rankings, and does it bum you out since you do have a share of him in a quality starts league? By the way, is the format of that other league? I know that I, I remember I was watching this game. I saw Blake Snell come out for the sixth inning. I saw him retire for Max Muncy, two outs away, and the manager comes out, and uh, I was sad because Blake Snell is never going to pitch six innings again in our lifetime. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this, this definitely bumps me out and you got to move him down. I mean, 
like Jeremy said, the volume, it's, he's, he's not up there with the rest of the, the top 15, top 20 guys with, in terms of volume. I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be good on a start on an inning on a per innings basis, but yeah, it's uh, definitely a bummer. Yeah. I just want to add also that I, I do sh- also share a love for Blake Snell uh, with, with Nate. I've had him uh, in my other dynasty league. Uh, I got him the same year as Giolito. Um, so him being really good has made my heart happy. Uh, losing him in in the futures is going to be hard, but that league is head-to-head categories, and one of them is quality starts. So, really, really a bummer for me there. Yeah, you're making him sound like your grandpa. Like it's going to be hard for you to lose him in the future. But yeah, Blake Snell. I believe I saw a stat recently that he has not thrown a quality start or gone six innings in a game since 2019. I know we had a very brief 2020 season, but still very alarming. And it, it doesn't look like that expectation should change moving forward with a pitch count of 90 every single start. I wonder if they're ever going to let him kind of empty the gas tank. They have to at some point, unless they're really afraid of, of some Something in his medicals where they think he would get hurt if he took on a high volume. But yeah, Blake Snell, uh, he will be good on an inning per inning basis. Like Jake mentioned, he will never be the ace that won the Cy Young back in 2018, unfortunately. That was definitely his career best year. And it also just happened to come in his first full season in the majors. So he couldn't but, even pitch six innings before Jordan won a head to head game. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Jordan hadn't won a head-to-head matchup in 623 days. And Blake Snell, it's probably been longer since he's thrown six innings. Two two just crazy stats. But I will just say I I have a little bit of hope for next year that now that he's not playing for the Rays, um, if it's the case that they're limiting him because he's been so limited with the Rays, maybe next year after he's shaken off the trauma of being a Rays starting pitcher, they'll, they'll let him go, but time will tell. Counterpoint, they should have Mackenzie Gore up with the team next year. They'll have Mike Clevenger back. Ryan Weathers looks like he's establishing himself to be a competitor for the rotation, even with all the arms, if they were healthy. And maybe Denelson Lamette, complete question mark, I know, but maybe he'll be in the mix. So I don't know that they would have reason to push guys like Blake Snell and Denelson Lamette if they have any kind of concern at all, if they expect to have all of those pitchers available. I see your point um, because maybe they're just trying to build up a workload to eventually get him to a higher workload in the future. I might consider 2023 to be the year where they really let Blake Snell open up and get to a higher you know, inning volume than we've ever seen from him before, just because they're going to have so many starting pitchers at their disposal next year. But I, th- I think he's certainly capable of it. It's just been an, been an unfortunate series of events for him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now the Padres will go eight man rotation and he'll still, he still will never go, never go six innings. Six innings yeah. Well, Jerwin, thank you for joining us for our sixth episode. And uh, it was a pleasure to have you. Do you have anything to share with the people before we sign off for this episode? Um, well, I already gave my my trade public service announcement, so I don't know. It's it's just it has been a great time. 
Uh, I will say, ooh, I do have I do have one more thing I would like to add. I have finally started looking at like external websites for how I value players in fantasy. So watch out, league. I I mean business now. All right. I'm glad. Uh, did we did we inspire you, or was this just something that you took up upon yourself to say? I want to become better. This is how I'm going to do it. Uh, a little bit like listening to the podcast. I was like, yeah, I should probably start looking at this stuff because I'm never going to be better than Nate and Jake if they're just constantly crunching numbers. So, um, yeah. And uh, I mean, I've only been doing it for a couple of weeks now, but like looking at stats is fun. You should you should all give it a try. Yeah, especially when they're color-coded red and blue in different shades to be very oh. easy to digest, uh, like, like Baseball Savant has. Yes. I will say, try to drop these little golden nuggets every week as we share different ideas about analytics. Be wary of using Baseball Savant and their sliders that are color-coded red and blue because they are not meant to be predictive stats. They are representative of how a player has performed up to this point in the season. But most of the stats that you see on a baseball savant page are more representative of how they've performed so far. Most are not meant to be predictive of how they will be or how they will perform. I will say I'll drop another little caveat or golden nugget and say that usually trends hold up in the short term in baseball. If a guy has hit two home runs already on the week, uh, I think personally he's just more likely to hit that third home run than he is to hit a home run after going home run lists in the past, let's say 20 games. I think it's easier to keep a hot streak going than it is to bust out of a slump. So that's like another thing that I believe about baseball is, is hot and cold streaks kind of come in bunches, but yeah, just be careful in your learning of how to use analytics um, and how you apply them to, you know, kind of understanding the game, understanding how to incorporate them into analyzing and valuing players. But it is definitely fun. I'm glad you've jumped in and, and kind of started learning about them. And, and hopefully it's, it's adding to the value of, of playing fantasy because that's what it's done for me. And I'm sure Jake could echo the same statement. Yeah, I mean, stats is my, is my major. So <laughs> it's safe to say that I like working with numbers. Yeah. So thanks everybody for listening to this six episode of the best player wins fantasy baseball podcast thank you to jerry for joining us for this week we hope to have more guests on in the future to host with us um please let us know i know we had a couple people let us know that they would like to come on sometime soon don't be afraid to raise your hand and say that you would like to come on as well if you haven't already but again thanks for your support hope you enjoyed the podcast episode and we will see you for the next one here